Welcome to this week's episode of the Tyson Priest Show. I mean, I'm so glad you decided to join me this week. If you didn't get a chance, go back and listen to the last two weeks with my guest, Brent Henderson. Brent is a national speaker and author of two books, Into the Wilds and The Roar Within, both dealing with identity and The Roar Within dealing specifically with what he calls the five man killers. If you didn't get a chance to listen to those two episodes, go back and listen to those. He talks about how our identity, our passions, our hobbies, our beliefs about ourselves all impact us during a transition. So go back, listen to those great, great episodes. So glad that Brent was able to join us the last two weeks. This week, I'm going to continue with that theme of identity and I'm really going to draw on some spirituality in this and a both Christian and Jewish perspective of identity. But before we get into that, I want to let you know that I'm here for you. I want to hear from you. Please email me, Tyson at TysonPriest.com. Let me know how I can powerfully serve you, coach you. If you're looking for a group of entrepreneurs to join, I have one of those. We meet weekly. And we are here to invest in you and allow you also to invest in us and to help us. If you listen to this show on a regular basis or even a semi-regular basis, you know that one of the things that we talk about is our heart. That King Solomon in Proverbs 4.23, he tells us to be sure to guard our heart above all else. Why? He says, because the issues of life come from that, meaning your heart, the intersection of your intellect, your emotions, and then carrying it out physically, that's where decisions are made, right? And people who understand that understand that they are not, to quote a particular artist and a song that came out several years ago, you are not a plastic bag drifting through the wind in some parking lot, right? You aren't necessarily paper thin like the song talks about and if you know what song I'm talking about blowing around like a paper bag you're probably laughing because you know that you are not that you are not blown about by every which way the wind blows that you have an intellect you have a mind and you have the capacity to make decisions and be disciplined in those decisions and move forward that's why you listen to this show to learn to guard and protect your heart and help you make better decisions. That's what I'm here to help you do. Well, today I'm going to talk about this idea of being. That's right. This idea of being. Who are you? We're going to continue that idea and that thought through or out of the interview that I had last week with Brent Henderson. And then of course, the week before that as well, there is a very, very famous play. Perhaps you've heard of it. Maybe you read the book. Maybe you saw the play in high school, but it's been around for centuries. What play am I talking about? I'm talking about Romeo and Juliet. Do you remember that? Do you remember that? Uh, I Spoiler alert, if you've not seen it or heard it or read it or watched it or whatever, Romeo and Juliet, right? They both die in a tragic love affair, a love affair that was never supposed to happen. 
and they uh, they both end up killing themselves, thinking that the other one's dead. Um, just honestly, just a complete tragedy. And uh, there's a line though in there where where Juliet is with her family. Now, the two families, Romeo's family and Juliet's family, are at war with one another. They're at odds. <laughs> Think of Hatfields and McCoys, uh, but in a British sense, right? And so they're at war. They're at odds with one another. And they will only kill each other if they see someone from the other family. And yet, fate would have it in this play that Romeo from one family and Juliet from another find each other and they fall in love and they sneak about probably like high school kids, right? They sneak about trying to be together and we come upon a scene in the play where Juliet's with her family and Romeo is out in the gardens and he's waiting for her to come out onto the balcony so they can whisper quietly their love for one another. And then Juliet says something that really reveals what Shakespeare thinks about our topic today. And it's deplorable. It's horrible. It's not true. It makes no sense. Here again, people that play pretend for a living should not be guiding us in issues of wisdom. If you want, if you have any questions of that, look at the last Oscars between Chris Rock and Will Smith. People that play pretend for a living and make millions at it and live in pretend worlds probably shouldn't be looked at for wisdom and deep meaning in life. I'm not saying they can't have it. I'm just saying probably not wise, right? Like, Throughout history, throughout Western culture, even if you go back to medieval period all the way up through, up until just recently, court jesters were never taken seriously. They were never called in for advice. They were never asked for anything, and yet they were in front of the king all the time. Why? To make him laugh so the king could escape reality. That's why they're there. They're not there to get wisdom and insight. Okay, anyway, I digress. But he makes a point in Romeo and Juliet as Juliet steps out onto the balcony and she whispers for Romeo. And Romeo steps out. And here's the monologue that she gives to Romeo. "'Tis but thy name that is my enemy. Thou art thyself, though not a Montague." I can't pronounce that word, but that's, the, that's, uh, that's her last name. Though not a Montague, she's saying, though you're not part of my family, she's acknowledging the families at war with each other. She says, what's Montague? It is not hand, nor foot, nor arm, nor face. Oh, be some other name belonging to a man. And then she says it, right? So she's saying, what is Montague? What is the name Montague? What is that? Is it a hand? Is it a foot? It's not something physical. And then... Shakespeare gives her this line, epic fail. She says, what's in a name? That which we call a rose by any other name would smell as sweet. Basically saying, it doesn't matter what you call it. It is what it is. It's, it's a rose and it smells sweet. 
Now, personally, I think roses smell like funeral homes, but that's probably a whole different discussion. Here's my point. She's saying, and she says it, what's in a name? Just because your last name isn't my last name or you're not part of my family doesn't mean that we can't marry. In other words, what she's saying is that names carry no value. Names carry no weight. Names don't matter. And to prove her point, she takes a spiritual being and she compares it to a physical object which has no spirit and no soul or nothing else. It just is what it is. Now, if I believe in evolution and that we're just all animals and we're just solely and strictly animals who act upon our instinct, then a name is a name is a name. It doesn't matter. We're all just objects of some primordial goo that came out of a pond or a lake. We became chimpanzees and now we're humans and we're just elevated animals and nothing more. However, if we are spiritual beings and if we have a soul, then a name is likely deeper. In fact, King Solomon says in Proverbs 22 verse 1, a good name is more desirable than great riches. To be esteemed is better than silver or gold. What's he saying? He's saying, listen, if you've got a good name, if you've got a good reputation, it is far more desirable to have that than it is riches or gold. Why? Well, King Solomon was like the ultimate networker. The dude could flat network. It's probably why he was one of the wisest if not the richest man in all of human history. What he's saying is, is if you have a good name and your network is solid, you can pick up that phone right now and you can call, you can text, you can email, you can get a hold of anybody you need to in any area and they're going to be there for you and you can work with them. And that in turn, guess what? That in turn will lead to gold and will lead to silver. silver. That's kind of the whole basis of business, isn't it? networking connections. And so King Solomon says, Hey, if you have a good name, that's more desirable, more desirable than riches. Cause honestly, out of that, you can gain riches and you can gain even more than just riches. You can gain solid counsel. You can gain uh, solid input from people. You can gain, you might even be able to gain um, wealth. I mean, you name it. it I'm struggling for any more examples right now off the cuff, but there's so much more you can gain from having a good name versus just being extremely rich, but being rude and cruel to everyone, right? I think we had a previous president, extremely wealthy, but kind of just mean to everybody, right? It doesn't, it doesn't play out real well. And so Solomon says, listen, you'd rather have the good name because that will open doors for you. And though you may not have the wealth, you can have doors opened for you, right? And so it's so important that you have that good name. What is this word name? What does it mean? Well, it has to do with our identity. Names mean something. Shakespeare's absolutely wrong in Juliet's monologue in Romeo and Juliet. Yes, you could call a rose an elephant and the elephant would smell like a rose, right? I mean, you could have named it anything. And the point is the rose itself is still going to be a rose. But when it comes to humans who are eternal beings, 
with a momentary physical experience, names take on something completely different. And we inherently know this. We know this. If you just stop and think about it, we know this is true. We know that names have meanings and names have purpose. Your identity and who you are carries weight. We know this inherently. Let's do a little thought experiment. Go back with me when you were a kid. Let's go all the way back to the playground. Do you remember that? Some of you might have been playing hopscotch or jump rope or Barbies or I don't know. I was playing dodgeball, getting pelted in the face. It felt good. Not really. But, you know, hey, dodgeball, that's a whole different topic. The point is, on the playground, you have things going on, all kinds of interesting social interactions happening on the playground. What happens on the playground when kids get together and suddenly there's a kid that doesn't like another kid? For the sake of being crass and rude, I'm just going to use a basic insult. Don't we change people's names? I mean, really, don't we? Don't, don't you change their name to dummy? Hey, dummy, 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 right? You don't call them by their name or you call them stupid. Hey, stupid, 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 stupid. Now I'm not condoning this at all on any level, but it happens. Let's be realistic. It happens, right? Or people might say like, they're playing pretend, right? Like you never played pretend, I assume, growing up ever, right? You would never use your imagination growing up. No, you did. You did. Okay, well, then you're a soulish spiritual being because animals can't do that. And so you say to your buddy, I am going to be Batman. And you're Batman. Maybe you're on the basketball court and you're saying, I'm Michael Jordan. What happens? You're giving yourself a new identity. You're changing your identity as a kid. Now, in reality, you're still Bob, Sue, and Sally, and, and Joe, right? I mean, you, you are who your parents named you, and we'll get into that and why that's important later. But the point of that is, the po- my example, and the point of my example is this. We identify with names. We do. We identify with names. Let's try something else. Let's go by region of country. If I say someone is a New Englander, what kind of image does that conjure up? If I say someone is from Appalachia or they're an Appalachian, what kind of image does that conjure up? You see suddenly how names start to carry definitions. They start to carry identities. Names start to carry weight. It suddenly identifies you and it suddenly tells people something about you. So when King Solomon says that your name, if you have a good reputation, is better than gold or silver, he's not lying. He's not lying in the least. So when we think about this, we can focus on physical aspects, right? You you can focus on the physical aspects of the rose like Shakespeare did when he penned Juliet's line there. Uh, 
And that should be expected if we're just animals. But we're not. Because we can think abstractly. We can create something in our head and then bring it into a tangible physical world. There's not a single animal that can do that. We are unique, right? And so names matter. In fact, in all of scripture, names matter. Names make a difference. Let's go just Genesis 1, the first chapter in the Bible. In Genesis chapter 1, God's creating everything, and we don't need to get into arguing whether you're a young earth theorist or a pre-Adamic age theorist or whatever you are. It doesn't matter. The point is this. The point is that God makes man, and he didn't call him Tom or Jason. He didn't call him Brad. He called him Adam. Adam in the Hebrew. I believe if I'm saying that right, my Hebrew is very rusty, nigh non-existent. But I believe in Hebrew is Adam. And Adam, or in English, Adam, his first job, what did God tell him? What's the first thing God said to Adam? Oh, hey, by the way, I need you to name all these animals. I need you to identify these animals. I need you to describe the characteristics of the identity of these animals. Now think about that. His job was to attach a name to a creature, Adam. Now why would now why would God want Adam to do that unless Naming names are important. In fact, God even knew names were important to our identity. How do I know that? Well, I know that because God called him Adam. The word Adam, Adam, means, are you ready? It means from the ground or from the dirt. And we all know this, especially if you've ever worked in a funeral home, right? You embalm somebody. Why? Because the body goes back. The second law of thermodynamics in our physical universe takes effect. Everything will decay. Everything will head towards chaos and decay. And so the body goes back to what? Dust. How many times at a funeral might you hear from dust we came into dust we return? And so God calls Adam from the ground. How about this? Let's take another name out of the Bible. You know him as Abraham. But before he was Abraham, he was Abram. And God comes along and he makes him a promise. He says, you're going to be the father of many nations. Or literally, you're going to be the father of of multiple ethnicities, multiple people groups. That's 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 the word for nations there. It literally means um, ethnic groups. You're going to be the father of many ethnic, of, of ethnicities and many, many people. Now, you could take it to mean many nations physically as we as we know it, Israel, Saudi Arabia, etc., because that's they all link back to Abraham. But prior to the promise of that, he was known as Abram. But God changes his name. Why? He changes his name 
because Abram doesn't mean it's not his identity. It's not who he is. He changes it to Abraham, meaning the father of many. That's what Abraham means, the father of many. Let's take another example. And this will be our last example from Scripture. But then we have Moses, or Moshe in Hebrew. Moshe in Hebrew, Moses, or Moses. Moses is Greek, Moshe, Hebrew. English derives more closely from the Greek, so you get Moses, not Moses. But it means to rescue from, to rescue from. And where was Moses's, or where was Moses rescued from? The water, the Nile. It, it, Moses specifically means to rescue from water, to be rescued from water, from drowning. Okay, but think about Moses' life, Moshe's life, Moses' life. What what was he doing? Not only was he rescued from the water, but he was rescuing the Jewish people from slavery. <laughs> that was what that that defined his entire life. That was his identity. And when you think about when Moses took that hard right turn, where was he? Well, he was out in the desert. He was tending sheep and flock. I mean, he was he went into the desert at 40 years old. He went back into Egypt to rescue the people when he was 80. So for 40 years, Moses is out in the desert, tending sheep, raising his sons, married, doing his thing. And then suddenly one day, scripture tells us that he goes up in Genesis chapter three, and he sees a burning bush. And in the burning bush, God is speaking. I'm sorry. God is speaking through the burning bush. Um, And I just want to point out something abstractly here. There are self-consuming bushes in the desert in that part of the world that they will burst into flames. And then, of course, they don't exist. And so I, I don't personally believe that it was the bush on fire that got Moses' attention. Because if you read it carefully, it says what? It's burning, but, a key word there, but it is not consumed. It's likely Moses had seen burning bushes before. This one isn't getting consumed. What's going on? Why are the branches and the leaves not crumbling up and withering into ash? So he goes over and he takes a look at it. And then out comes this voice, right? And it speaks to him. And out of this bush comes this voice and says to Moshe, right? He says, hey, I want you to go into Egypt. I want you to get my people out, et cetera, et cetera. Moses has this little dialogue. He says, hey, what do you want me to say? What do you want me to do? And then God says, Genesis chapter three, verse 14, this will launch us into the second half of this podcast. Genesis three fourteen says, God said to Moses, I am who I am. Well, this is big. This is big. So big that you, whether you're a Christian or a Jew or a Muslim, or an atheist, or an agnostic, you cannot identify yourself without first acknowledging your existence comes from God. 
And it comes right here, right now out of this verse. The fact that you're listening to this, you have to acknowledge, and I'm going to show you in just a few minutes how you have to acknowledge God exists before you can even say your name. And you do it all the time and you cannot get away from it. So God says, I am who I am. That's what you're going to say. Now, my Hebrew, like I said, is rusty, non-existent. So I'm going to give this a shot in Hebrew. But he really says, Hayi Ashar Ahi. Hayi Ashar Yahi. And if anybody knows Hebrew, I probably just horribly botched that up. But I think that's exactly how that goes. Now, here's the important part of this in Hebrew. When you read Hebrew, you read right to left. You read right to left, not left to right. And so it's, it's backwards. And so when you read this from right to left, it starts and ends with the Hebrew letter Aleph, meaning Aleph is indicative of a future tense, which means it could be translated, you tell the people, I will be who I will be. I will be who I will be. Uh-oh. Whoa, uh-oh. We got a problem. Because guess what? What are we called? What is the human race called? Who are we? We are we are we human doings? No. We are human beings. We are human beings. We be. We are. I am. Right? We are human beings. Let me ask you let, let me ask you a question. Think about this. When somebody says, "Who are you?" How do you respond? In Hebrew, you respond, Hayi Tyson. I am Tyson. In other words, personally, I'm named Tyson. And everything that that name represents and everything that I've created that name to represent, that is my brand. But that brand comes after I am. That name comes after I will be. I am. I could even I could even combine it and say I'm right. I apostrophe M. I'm. Doesn't matter. It's still I am, and everything that I am begins with the God of I am. You can say I am fishing. I am a fisherman. I am an athlete. I am an actor. I am a carpenter, but everything that you do and everything that you identify with must come from your being, which is what God told Moses. I am that I am. I am the great I am. And so all other I am's stem out of that. So when we do what we're supposed to do, when we go to our jobs, you might be a tool and die maker in a factory. I am a tool. Well, guess what? That ability comes from your creator, I am. Your name 
is directly connected to who you are or who you are being. And then what you do stems from who you are, who you are being. You are who you are, and out of that, you do what you do. Your talents, your knowledge, your ability to serve, and then that reward that stems from that or the income that you get from your knowledge, your talent, and your ability to serve, you gain money. And maybe we'll talk about how money is spiritual and the importance of earning money. I think the question that we have to ask ourselves, um, you know what? No, I don't want to get into that right now. Maybe that's for another show, another episode. Just stay tuned. But you cannot do what you do without first being who you are. And who you are will seep into the way in which you do things. That's why if you're an entrepreneur and you step out and you begin to do something, it's going to be uniquely you. It's not going to be your neighbor or it's not going to be your boss. It's not even going to be your spouse. When you step out to start a business, when you step out to speak into other people's lives, you're going to do it in a way that is uniquely you, but it all stems from the great I am, and you step in and say, I am Tyson. I am a chaplain. I am whatever. It all stems out of the great I am. You can't even introduce yourself without first acknowledging God. You can't even tell others what you do without acknowledging God. Even if somebody says, well, what is your name? And I don't even say I am Tyson. If I just say Tyson, what's your name? Tyson, what's inferred? I am. The existence of God, you cannot get away from it. It is there all the time. In fact, in Hebrew thought, your name and your being cannot exist without first acknowledging the great I am. That's that's straight out of Hebrew thought. You cannot acknowledge who you are without first crediting God before you. And then out of who you are comes your doing. If you're a creative person and you love hair, you might be into cosmetology, right? You might be uh, a barber. You might be a beautician. But all of that comes from who you are. And then that begins to define and mold and shape how people see you so that when your name is spoken, then your doing describes your being. Well, I know this is deep stuff. I know this is deep stuff, but if you're going through a transition, this is stuff you need to understand. We got to grasp this because if we don't grasp this, then we'll keep transitioning from one thing to the next, to the next, to the next. And we'll try to go from being a nurse to being a teacher to, uh, who knows, doing all sorts of odd, weird things because you don't know who you are because you're confused, right? Paul even alludes to this when Paul is debating the, the Greek Stoics and Paul is debating, uh, Uh, Roman philosophy and Greek Stoics and so on. He says in Acts chapter 17, verse 28, in this debate, he says, for in him we live. Now, what he's just done there, let me actually, let me read the whole verse. Acts 17, verse 28, for in him we live and move and have our being. Uh Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Now let's back up. His first few words for In him we live. That is directly from Greek mythology. 
and the name of the God escapes me. But Paul's taking their argument and he's flipping it on his head, on their, on its head. And he's saying, no, 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 no. He's saying for in him, we live and then we move. What are we talking about living? Well, our existence, our ability to exist. So this lines up with Genesis 3.14, I am comes before your name. I am comes before what you do. And Paul says that in all of this, we live, we move our physical bodies, right? Our physical, this goes back to then what we're talking about with your heart, the intersection of your intellect, your emotions, and your actions. We live, we move, and what's the last thing he says? He gets then to the heart of it. Your being. For in God, we move, we live and breathe, and then your very being exists because of God. Because why? Well, from what we are, what we be, Okay, what we be defines what we do and how we do it. Now, if you followed this podcast for any length of time, I would encourage you to go back and listen to other podcasts. One of the four questions you have to ask yourself in transition, well, let me just go through the four questions for you. Well, let's just do that. Let's go through uh, the four questions real quick. Um, It comes from Jonah chapter one, verse eight. They asked him, tell us. Who is responsible for making all this trouble for us? What kind of work do you do? Where do you come from? What is your country? And what are your people? Those are the four questions. Now, in today's culture, it comes down to this, right? It comes down to those four questions. What has formed me? What? What is my direction? And what is, or what what do you do? And how did I get here, right? How did I get here? What do I do? Where am I going? Where am I from? These are all self-reflecting, looking inward at myself. And then I love Noah's, I'm sorry, not Noah, Jonah's answer. Jonah's answer is phenomenal. His answer is the very definition of what we're talking about today. How does he answer all four questions? Because he answers them with only one answer. This is how he answers them. He answers them with, I am Hebrew. Think about that. Four questions, one answer. I am Hebrew. In other words, who I am is defined not by me, but by God. And as a result, this is what I do. This is how I do it. This is who I am. And everything that I am stems from great I am. That's identity which then bleeds into your talents and your knowledge and the way you're wired and designed, which suddenly now means you're not here from some primordial ooze that grew into a chimp that grew into some animal who just follows their instincts. And we all know what instincts are. Instincts are just feelings. I just got to follow my feelings. No, you don't stop that nonsense. Get some discipline. Stop following your feelings. Well, today I feel like this tomorrow. I might feel like 
look, you're going to be the most inconsistent, uncommitted, life-going-nowhere person in the world. You have to be disciplined. You have to be focused. That requires vision. That requires purpose. And that requires identity. I am blank, right? I am blank. So when you introduce yourself, your name carries weight. Your name carries meaning, not just from what you do, because that in and of itself describes who you are. So I want to ask you at the close of this episode, as you're making your transition, can you answer the four questions of transition with one answer? Or is it, well, I'm this and I'm that and I'm this and I'm that. No. Let's boil it down. Right? Let's get down to, because when you boil everything down, you get down to one thing. Creator. And then that flows through us out into the physical world. We take the spiritual world. We get an idea, a thought, an imagination, which is untangible, unseeable. We bring that into a physical, tangible world to make the physical, tangible world a better place. Unless we are inherently evil, then we create things to make the world not so good. Right? And there are people who have done that in history. My point is this. When you're in transition... Understanding who you are, understanding that no Juliet via uh, Shakespeare, that no, it's what's in a name is everything is in a name. Everything is in a name, especially if that name is tied to a soul, not an object, not a living object like a flower or a rose, but it's tied to a living soul. That's what I want you to think about this week. Give that some thought. Think it over. Talk it over. If, the, if you've enjoyed this podcast, I want to encourage you to hit the like button. Give us a five-star rating. Leave us a positive, good review. I want you to think about that, who you are. As you think on that again, give us a great review. That's how the word gets out about this podcast so that we can continue to help people in their transitions as they move forward and change their lives, not just for the better, not just to better themselves. That We want to better those around us so that we live as a light to others. So would you do that? Help me get the word out about this show. Share it with your friends. Share it on social media. Uh, rate it, review it, have your friends rate it and review it. Listen, if you are looking for a life coach and someone to help you see the blind spots as you conquer the mountain of your dreams, I know right here and now I can powerfully serve you to help you reach the top pinnacle of the mountain of your dreams. I'm going to walk with you. I'm going to help you see the blind spots that you can't see. That will those questions I'm going to ask you will challenge you. They will cause you to step up and do things you've never thought you could do before. Message me, Tyson, at TysonPriest.com. Listen, until next week, own it. Out. Mm-hmm.